we continue on with our first songs of Christmas uh, series, uh, we have, uh, we're still in Mary's song, we're going to spend a couple weeks on that. Last week we kind of looked at this, and Mary is a interesting uh, character, isn't she? You know, it, it's, it's interesting that we, we probably think we know a lot more about Mary than we actually do. Um, we really all we have about Mary uh, and how this all worked uh, is in Luke 1, uh, which we're looking at today, um, how that all works and how that, that goes. We've got, uh, it doesn't say how old she is. It doesn't say whether or not people ostracize her and Joseph. It doesn't say, uh, you know, a lot about how that worked from the time she was uh, pregnant with Jesus until the time um, we we uh, we find him uh, being born. Um, a lot of that's conjecture. You know, it's not necessarily bad. I mean, uh, we go by Palestinian uh, uh, ideas in the first century, and and that's uh, that's okay. But um, I do think it's good to try to think of Mary, what she might have been going through as she she does this. You know, you think about she she finds out she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit because of an angel, which as we've talked before, you know, and you don't want to be too flippant about it, but this is not normal. This is a very odd occurrence. Um, that's the, the, the way this starts. She's, she's, uh, she has uh, a certain way about her, certainly. And uh, one of the things when you look into Scripture, these characters, you don't always know how they feel. This song kind of helps us with that, or this prayer. We're calling it a song. I thought it was kind of uh, neat to just say these are the first songs of Christmas because it's the first, you know, Jesus being born. You got Mary. Next week we're going to hit the first half of Zachariah's song, and then we're going to go to the second half. Of and then on Christmas Eve we're going to hit um, the songs of the angels when the, they go to the shepherds. So that's kind of what, you know, a lot of singing. And singing is such an important thing here. But if you remember, this is the way it, it, it you know, Luke starts with those angel angelic appearance, the same guy, same, same, same angel coming first to Zechariah in the temple and second to, uh, to Mary uh, in, in Nazareth. But uh, I think when we, we look at this, you've got uh, the first part of this, is which we hit last week, and, and this is right after she's talking with Elizabeth when she starts singing this song. And I don't know, I remember as a kid, I remember going to the first musical I ever went to. And it was a high school thing. I was probably in grade school. And I remember they're, they're doing these lines, and all of a sudden somebody starts singing. And I'm like, what the heck is that guy doing? You know? I mean, do you normally do that? Do you kind of, you know, you're going, we are going to. Or, you know, you don't, we don't do that, do we? It's, but, it, but it's cool. It's a neat way to get song as something that helps us with this. And I don't know, it, all it says in my translation is that Mary said but then it indents and it's kind of like a poem. And so uh, uh, last week we hit these first few verses, and they're probably more familiar because we tend to stop at the when we get to verse 50, but my soul magnifies the Lord. We used to have a song that, that started, that. it was called that, I think. Um, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, 
and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So we talked about how similar this was to Hannah's song back in 1 Samuel 2. And you remember Hannah, again, couldn't have kids. Uh, seems to be kind of a theme in the, in the Old Testament. By the grace of God in her prayer, she has a kid, it ends up being Samuel, she, and she just, she sings. And they're very similar. And we talked about that they had what we call joy. And if you remember, we, we, we kind of had a working definition of joy that had to do with an emotional feeling, but a knowledge that has to do with having salvation in Jesus. That that's true joy. We sing that a lot, you know, joy to the world, and uh, we want to have joy. Really, biblically, joy is strength and contentment that can only come from your salvation in Christ. You can't really get, you can get happy, you know. Um, there's all kinds of ways to get happy, right? Um, sometimes you re don't even remember when you were happy when you get happy. But this is different, isn't it? It's got to do, and that they're both rejoicing in their salvation. And we talked about last week how that's, that's the way, especially in Christmas time, but shouldn't we always do that? If you're a follower of Jesus and you, are, you know you have eternal life, every day should be different, shouldn't it? Shouldn't you? That joy should always be there to some level. It might, you might not be emotionally up, but that's still there. That's something that can never be taken away. Jesus says it so well in the Gospels. If you believe in me, if you follow me, repent and believe, you have eternal life. Not you're going to get it later. Eternal life has to do with a relationship with Christ. That Yeah, there is a place, we, we call that heaven, uh, that we can all aspire to and hope for. And the loved ones that have died that we know are, are with God. But yet, we still have part of that now, and that's what these women are rejoicing in. And we also talked about the fear of God. Um, that used to be a saying we used quite a bit, didn't we? You know, we'll put the fear of God in them. What did that mean? It usually meant you didn't get to sit down for a while. Or if you did, it didn't feel very good. Um, but the idea, the fear of God in, in the Bible, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Well, why? Because once you realize that God is holy and you are not, and you have no business having a relationship with him, all things being equal, that's kind of scary. Um, I mean, I, I don't even want to think about this, but I guess I have to because I'm going to say it, you know. Think about your existence in the rest of your life after death without God and with darkness and no light. That's kind of scary. And some people, and maybe you did that or maybe you've done that before where you're like, you want to approach God because you're just afraid of not being with him. Um, but the fear of the God is the beginning of wisdom. We talked about, yeah, unhealthy fear of God is just being an abject terror all the time. I, just don't, don't, don't hit me. A healthy fear is when we start seeing God as Father because of the Son by the power of the Spirit, and that relationship starts. And we know we don't deserve it because of grace, but it's real. And it becomes the respect. Well, as First John says, perfect love drives out all fear. And once we start doing that, and I know a lot of you are that way, um, we were talking about that in the Bible study, that statistically it's not real good right now in America on how many people show up for worship on a given Sunday. People just don't do it anymore. 
thanks for coming. You're in the minority. Yeah. yeah 30%, 29% of people show up that say they're Christians show up. But then I look around here and it's like, we couldn't keep most of you guys away because you want to be here. Why? Because you want to respond to the Father and the Son and what they've done. And so you, you seek Him and you want to get closer to Him. And you can never get enough. It's always better, always good, always uh, what we want. So when we look into the next part of this, we're going to look at a couple terms that uh, we know, but what does the Bible say about them? So the next part of her song, she says, He has shown strength, verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. As I was reading that, I was thinking, what if we were singing that? Not me, us. You'd probably remember it more, wouldn't you? you know, that's, it's, it's a song is so much easier. But he has scattered the proud. Um, what does it mean to be proud? You know, lifting oneself up. In the New Testament, it has to do with, with arrogant boasting. Now, we're not talking about you do something well and you're proud of it. That's okay. I mean, that's not arrogant. But when you put yourself up higher, and this is perhaps the first sin that ever happened. And why I say that is if, if you want to turn with me to Isaiah 14, we're going to not take a super deep dive, but uh, you might learn something here that you didn't know. Um, Isaiah is mostly poetic, uh, wonderful prophet. Um, and in verse... Three, it says, when the Lord has given you rest, Isaiah, from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So who's the taunt against? The king of Babylon. Cont context, always go with the context. And then he gives this taunt. And when you get, uh, and, and th th these words might, when you get to verse 11, your pomp is brought down to Sheol, which is the Old Testament uh, term for either hell or the place of the dead. The sound of your harps, maggots are laid as a bed beneath you. Isn't that a neat image? And worms are your covers. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And this is almost a definition of pride. I will make myself like the most high. But you will be brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. This is an interesting taunt. And I don't know if you knew this, but uh, there's a figure in the Bible that Jesus, uh, well, let's see if you can guess who this is. We'll play a little game. It's fun, you know, we're having fun, right? Um, who tempted Jesus in the wilderness? The devil, it says that, right? What are some other names for that figure? 
Satan. If you go to Revelation, you got a couple of times he's called that ancient serpent, and once in a while, a dragon. That's kind of your main four. T- Some people think, and they may be right, I'm not sure I'm compelled one way or the other, but Even though this is talking about Babylon, maybe it's talking about something more ancient that this king is acting like. Because you get to verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. I know you all want to learn some Latin, right? (laughs) We got got Hebrew, we might learn a little Latin. You know what the Latin word for day star is? Lucifer. Have you heard that name? There's a TV show after that dude, right? This is where it comes from. It's the, the idea, and if you ask me, it's like, well, is that devil, that Satan, is his name Lucifer? Well, no. I mean, that's not his proper. It's just a translation. You could actually go around and call him Daystar, which would be kind of weird, but you can do what you want. Uh, or Hebrew, Halel. You know, I mean, that, that's what it means. Um, but... If this is talking about what happens in the garden, if this is what hap- if this if this is what's talking about this being who was shining, and an angel, and then decides, and it, you know, going back to to verse fourteen, I will make myself like the Most High. If that's true, and, and I think possibly, the first sin that ever happened in the universe was pride. I'm going to make myself like God. Now, the king of Babylon apparently is trying to do that. I, I don't know if you remember your history, but it did not work out well for him. Um, that's why this taunt, it's like, it's not going to work out, dude. Don't, don't do this. Don't be silly. But Milton, if you, the, who wrote Paradise Lost, picks up on this, and he writes this big epilogue about how Satan felt. We don't know if that's true. But pride is such a big problem. And why I give you all that, a little to have some knowledge of it and where this stuff comes from. But the main thing is when our pride is arrogant, when we're looking at ourselves better than we are, who are we acting like? Well, maybe the king of Babylon, which is not great, but maybe even more like, you know, this Satan, which means the adversary or deceiver. Whether he's named Lucifer, I I don't know. I don't really care. But we don't want to make ourselves higher than we ought to. I mean, how silly for a person to think they were at the height of God. That is, that is pride. And you get this in, in, in Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Which is just a good way to say, don't get cocky. You know, we can do that, right? but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So where pride is something that is against what, and not really realizing who God is, what Mary is talking about here in Luke, in her song, is what we would call humility. It's kind of the opposite of pride. It's the idea of being humble, lowly, Meek, you know, the, the adjectives are good. It can mean to bow down or submit. And we don't like this in America, do we? Nobody wants to do that, right? We've got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I don't even know how to do that. Wouldn't gravity kind of mess that up? Do you start floating if you pull hard enough? Isaiah, back to Isaiah. Man is humbled. 
and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. And the thing that's so cool about Isaiah, and you see it with Jesus too, he doesn't leave anybody out. It's not just like you're humbled and I'm not. No, we all get humbled. It doesn't take long for us to get humbled. I mean, most of the time, all I have to do is get cocky and something will happen, and you're humbled really fast. You're humbled when, again, when you realize that you're not as self-sufficient and powerful and maybe good as you think you are. In the New Testament, it's tapaneo. And Jesus uses this in, in, in Luke 14 when he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. We just read that in Isaiah 14. Um, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now that's, that's a really, really cool scripture. You know, it really comes down to James 4, and this is a very good verse to remember. And he says he gives more grace. He's talking about how James is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament. If you want to kind of know how to do things and how to live. Uh, I'm sure you all read Proverbs 10 this morning, right? Why would you do such a thing? What's the date? The 10th. How many Proverbs are there? 31. How many dates are the most months? It's not really that hard. Just read the one that's really easy. Just do that. It'll just make you think a little different. But James is that way, and I like the way he puts this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, it's one thing that God passes over someone and just doesn't really, but he opposes the proud. That's, that's much bigger, isn't it? And gives grace to the humble. But it's always so hard, isn't it? Because I was going to wear my humble shirt, but it's Christmas. I wanted to wear a nice Christmas tie. But uh, I do have a shirt that says I'm humble, which is kind of weird. Because if I'm telling you I'm humble, am I really being humble? Isn't that kind of prideful? You see how easy it is to slip into it. Pride just slips in all the time. It's like I might be the most humblest here. I'm more humble than you guys are, which is just, it's just an oxymoron, isn't it? It makes no sense. And you see the problem. We tend to think about humility and pride in our own relationships with each other, and that's the problem. We'll look at that in a little bit. Mary has just had an encounter with an angel. She's just met her cousin who had miraculously has a baby who's going to be, uh, or is, John the Baptist, she can see who she is in God's eyes, and that makes her fairly humble. But another word we get, and you get this in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's very close to humble. In fact, it's, it's a synonym in, in both Greek and Hebrew. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When you think of the word meek, you know, if you want to, if there's any Baptist in here, call it out. I mean, meek, because that, that seems kind of, and it rhymes with it, right? Weak, right? It's almost, and I hesitate, to, actually, I don't hesitate, uh, but uh, it's almost like a synonym for wuss. You know, that's kind of the way we look at it. It's like, did you wanna, do you really want to, you know, a meek offensive lineman? I mean, do you, I, I wouldn't want to run behind that guy. He's meek. He's you know weak and 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 just not powerful. That's not what that word means. 
not in Greek and Hebrew. It, it, we've kind of, that's why words make so much difference, you know. That's why telling the kids that, you know, hopefully they'll remember. Hopefully you will. And now you know some Hebrew. Emmanuel, God with us. Well, that's kind of cool to learn that. But what does meek mean? And it, it, it's, again, another Hebrew word, for, but you get blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. But in Isaiah, the meek shall obtain fresh joy. Hmm. In the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. So it's like, God seems to like these meek people. So we probably should define meek maybe the way God does and not the way we do. Uh, because, you know, and I know it, it's a word that comes to mind, and I've already used it, but are we really saying blessed are the wusses because they'll get the earth? That's not what this is saying. That's not what God doesn't want. Does, does Jesus seem that way? And this is one I really like. Now, the man Moses was very meek. Now, I've seen the movie. I've actually read the book. But Charlton Heston does not look like a wuss in that movie. I mean, if, if you guys, younger kids, if you, if you haven't seen it, I think they still have it. I, I know, maybe it's on Netflix. I don't know. It's only like seven or eight hours long. It's not that. <laughs> I think it's quite long, if I remember right. But, uh, but you can, that, you got the pause button now. You can do, go get popcorn, come back. But th I think they portray Moses pretty well there. I mean, very strong. But he's, he was very meek. More, you know, it says more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Until Jesus, this dude was the meekest. But yet, so what does this mean? Well, you know, here we are at Grace Church, and what do we have? We have these wonderful, we had one last week, right? We have these wonderful, wonderful working definitions. Right? And there's our working definitions of, and, and I'll have to admit, um, so far there has been not a lot of, lot of input on these. Um, these are mine, uh, but we can add to them. They're working. What does it mean? You know, going back to joy, an ongoing inner strength. Why? Because well, it doesn't go away. You know, happiness comes up and down, right? But joy, because it's couched in the strength we get from our salvation from Christ, that doesn't go away. You're not less saved in a bad day than you are in a good day. You know, we were taught that as chaplains. If you go to the, the a lot of times we'd go into an accident or, you know, into the emergency room and somebody wasn't going to make it. And those are hard times. But I tell you what, if Jesus is who he really says he was, you've got something to say. You've got something to say. If, he, if he's not, we can just all cry. We're going to cry anyway, but is there any hope? You know, you can go there and you can say there's still joy because, because of who he is. You know, and so you have a word to say to them. It's ongoing. No matter what happens, when that, if you lose a loved one, Jesus still died, Jesus still rose, and you still have eternal life if you follow him. That doesn't change with the circumstance. And that's what joy is about. Well, what about humility? This is the key. Realizing your lowly position before the holy God. If you're having a real cocky day, and we all have them, just think about you in reference to God. The cockiness goes away. I mean, think about the time. We just read Isaiah. Remember Isaiah 6? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. And he talks about the seraph and all this thing. And where is Isaiah? He's on his belly. 
woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people. I am not worthy. And, and Yahweh didn't say, oh, no, you're good. No, he's, he's not worthy. When people realize who God is, humility comes really fast. I've used it before, but it's such a great reference. And if you watch The Chosen, I thought they did this really well. And I don't know what season or episode that is. But it's when they have the catch of fish. And I love the way they do it in that, in that show where Peter's kind of like, you know, Jesus says, well, throw the dead. And he didn't know Jesus from Adam at that point. Andrew told him about him, but he didn't know much. And he's like, really? Throw my net? But we've been out all night. Who is this Yahoo? He didn't say Yahoo, but I'm sure he thought it. Which is a Yiddish word. No, I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> Used to be a really bad chocolate drink, but I don't know if that's still around. But, uh, but yeah, he, he, he could tell, and they did a good job with this. You could tell in the scriptures, but he's like, well, I don't know something about this guy. I'll go ahead and do what he said. And, of course, then they do a really good job of the great catch of fish he has. And, you know, we've talked about that. It's like, well, there's two responses you could have to this, right? You could probably say, well, this is cool. You want to join the firm? You know, I mean, we'll fish for five minutes a day and we'll be rich. But what does he do? He goes out of the boat. He gets on his knees before Jesus. And he says, get away from me for I'm a sinful man. When he encountered God, humility came really fast. And that's really what, that's why that shirt I have that says, that's what we're talking. You should always have a vision of humility when you see God. When you truly see who He is and understand His holiness. And what's the way to humility in the Bible is not just seeing, it's also submitting. And again, we don't like that word. Um, and that probably shouldn't be done at least all the way through in, in our relationships with each other. But when you think about a holy God and who we are, submission is the number one thing you should do. I mean, in fact, you start thinking about it. Back to Peter. I'm wondering what, when, when Jesus looked at him and said, after he says, get away from me because I'm a sinful man, which he's right. We do this at communion. People say, well, I'm not worthy. It's like, bingo. That's why you should take it. Because it's a table of grace, not a table of works. If you're going to get to the point where you think you're good enough to be before God, good luck. You're never going to do that. But what does Peter do? When Jesus looks at him and says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, I wonder what he felt. Maybe a little confusion. But I'm sure maybe the joy started to come. And eventually... I wonder if pride started coming in. It doesn't take long, does it? Well, he called me. Yeah, you know. And God does that different ways. In our, he will humble the prideful. Your goal would be to do it before he does that. Because you're going to get it one way or the other, right? You know, it's a... Yeah, you get this the other day. I was getting cocky. I had changed some plumbing, which I'm second worst plumber in the world. Um, there's got to be somebody worse, right? Um, got it working. No leak. It leaks now, but it didn't then. <laughs> Water finds a way, right? 
And I thought, well, that's pretty good. And I went around the corner, hit my shin on the bed. And I'm like, oh, that was stupid. Humility right there. Pride went to humility really fast. It's almost like God's like, yeah, that was a real good job. Of course, it started leaking, so humility came in a different way too. But, um, but I think, again, it's, it's, your, it's your way you look at God. And then meek is very, it's close, but actually the word gentle is the word that it really is a good synonym for. Gentleness of character that finds its true strength in God through the Spirit. Now think about Moses. Think about Jesus. He was the meekest too, you know, because his true strength was through the Spirit, not through what he did. And, and, and again, Moses knew. Moses got a little cocky, remember, in Exodus? I want to see you. And, I, you know, actually, God was kind of nice there because he could have just <laughs> probably should have. But uh, he's like, I don't think you know what you're talking about, Moses. And he's like, puts him in the cleft of the rock. He sees like his after effects and all that's all. Because he doesn't understand who you're talking to here. And I think sometimes we do that. So think about it. You want to be meek in the thing. The strength comes from God, not from yourself. And sometimes, how much strength did it take for Jesus when he was being insulted, slapped, beaten by people? And he didn't do anything. And he could have. That had to take a lot of strength of character, a lot of meekness. Because he had all the power in the world to wipe him out. But he didn't. And why didn't he? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But do you realize some of the very people who crucified him were most likely the ones that came to faith after Pentecost? Not all, but some. We've gotten in a couple places in Acts where there's in, in Acts 15 it talks about the Christian party of the Pharisees. What? You know, plural, at least two. Uh, I always wonder if Nicodemus was there. Another, another rabbit trail. But. And then in Acts 5, it talks a lot of the priests came to believe. So, uh, uh, six, excuse me, Acts 6. So Jesus knew something greater was going to come. And that took a lot of strength to be able to do that. But she goes on, and we'll finish up. Has helped his servant Israel. In Isaiah 44, it says, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten. And this is one of the big things of interpreting the Old Testament. Israel is the servant. But yet it seems like there's this other personification that the term Messiah comes that he's the servant. Well, which one is the servant? Well, kind of both. Israel is the servant, supposed to follow. They didn't do a very good job a lot of times as a, as a group. But you have mercy coming, uh, and she talks about that through, through Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and eventually the Messianic covenant that we call the Davidic covenant comes through. And the place you see this, and I'll just, you know, you haven't had an assignment, and I know you guys don't have anything to do in this Christmas season, so read Isaiah 53. You probably know it at least parts of it. Um, it's really amazing. You know, Isaiah was written around 700 A.D., and you read through that, and this is something that Jesus gra and, and, uh, grabs onto, and certainly uh, the authors of the New Testament, Peter definitely goes back to these verses and said, this is, this is a suffering servant. And it's just amazing how he comes to do what Israel couldn't do. You could translate verse 54, 
and different translations do it. You know, he has helped his servant Israel, but you could translate, he has taken the part of his servant Israel. You know, God called Israel out as his people to be a light to the nations, to follow his, to meekly and humbly follow his, his rules, but it was about a relationship that you have with each other. You know, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But they didn't do a very good job of that, and they got exiled, and they got dispersed. But the prophets came along and said there was going to be somebody else. Somebody was going to come, and they were waiting for this when Jesus shows up. In fact, we read in Jesus' own words that a lot of false messiahs came. I'm the one. I'm the one that's going to do it. But they forgot Isaiah 53 in a lot of ways. Most people were looking for a, a military leader, and Jesus didn't come for that. He came to do what Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced for our iniquities. That's what Isaiah 53, and by his wounding, we are healed, we are saved. It was always prophets, a little hard to see, but it's not hard to see if you're a New Testament Christian because it's just boom right there. The Messiah ends up doing what Israel could never do. And why? Because he wasn't just human. He was also God, Emmanuel, right? God with us. So as she sings this song, what really comes about here is that she is talking about a fulfillment of the covenants that God has given to his people. Now, don't, don't forget, when you read the New Testament, sometimes I wish you'd just read it like you were a Jew, you know, of that time, because that's what he was. It helps us understand it better. The Abrahamic covenant was about land and progenitor, you know, kids. And if you may be single and you get into a church and all of a sudden you got a family, at least you should, right? And what did Jesus say when he was in the upper room? I go to prepare a place for you. Maybe that's a possibility of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. You got a family, you got a place. That's kind of cool, isn't it? And the Mosaic covenant, he, he, he looks at that. He says, I fulfilled this. You don't have to worry about not eating pork, thank God. Literally, right? I mean, think about that. No pulled pork, no bacon. I mean, this is like the third circle of hell. We don't have to do that, right? I mean, it, and we don't have to worry about staying in favor with God by the way we perform. But we perform because we have favor with God because of grace. That's pretty cool, isn't it? He fulfills that. He fulfills the law. He tells us how to live. Yes, he wants us to follow him. And he fulfills the, you know, the Davidic covenant, too. He was the one promised. And that's what she's singing about. I don't know how much she knew. Try one that old. But this isn't just Mary singing. This is the Holy Spirit working in her heart, isn't it? And so as we continue through the Christmas season, think this is just one of the songs we're going to look at Zacharias next week, at least the first part. And as we sing more songs, I just the, the, the Christmas songs are so cool, aren't they? They're so deep. They're so Jesus-centered, which is good, right? And they fill our hearts with such joy. And as you think about your position with God, yes, I hope you're humble, I hope you're meek. But be like Peter, you know, you know you fall short of his glory. 
But do exactly what he did when Jesus asked. Follow me and keep doing it every day. Let us pray. Father, as we look at this song, this prayer, this poem of, of Mary, it, it has such depth of theology and emotion, and we thank you so much for it, uh, uh, revealing it to us. Uh, each one here, we're going through a Christmas season, it can quickly become uh, uh, mundane and too, a little bit too busy. I just hope each one of us remember uh, that you're with us through it all. Sometimes things don't go the way we want, but you still are with us. Uh, your son still died. Uh, we can still grab onto that and have joy. May we have that deep inner strength all the time, knowing that before you, we don't deserve you, but because of your grace, we get you. Thank you for sending your son, whose name we pray.